Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and just before we start today's Missions Today podcast, I wanted to take a moment to point you to a special event coming up next weekend. It's November 5th and 6th, and it's called the Global Church Forum. And when I say global church, I mean we're going to have people from all over the planet, Africa, Asia, South America, Australia, Europe, and yes, the United States of America. Just a couple of recognizable names possibly from here in America. Andy Crouch with Praxis and Tom Lynn, President and CEO of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Those are just a couple of the dozens of speakers we'll have over 24 hours as the church, the body of Christ, comes together to learn from each other, to lift up the Lord, to pray, to worship. It's going to be a powerful time, and we have people from all of these different continents joining together. How do we deal with COVID? What's happening in the church in this part of the world? How can we be praying for each other? So many wonderful things, and we'd love for you to be a part. It is, again, November 5th and 6th, the Global Church Forum, and it's easy to get signed up, and it's absolutely free. Do you hear me? Absolutely free. The Global Church Forum. Here's where you go, globalchurchforum.city, C-I-T-Y. That's globalchurchforum.city. Get registered today, get signed up, get your heart prepared to be impacted by people around the world, the body of Christ, the Church of Christ, and the Global Church Forum. Coming up next weekend, 24 hours straight, November 5th and 6th, from your friends here at Missions Today and Resource Global. This week on Missions Today. That challenged me like nothing else. I made a vow, uh, starting with uh, my first year in seminary, that I was going to find out. And I discovered the word cities in the Bible uh, 1,250 times, 142 cities of Scripture, 51 texts on Sodom alone, uh, why God said he destroyed it, Ezekiel 16. And I got a calling uh, by uncovering old texts in Scripture that other people basically at the time were uh, ignoring. Cities. They are at the heart of the ministry of our guest today for over 60 years. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. Now, you may live in a city, or you may not, but as you just heard, the Bible has a lot to say about cities. And our guest today has a lot to say about reaching cities. Dr. Ray Bakke graduated from the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago in 1959, and he spent over 35 years there ministering in the heart of the city. But that's just the beginning of the story. During his life on mission, he visited over 200 major cities across the globe, teaching leaders there how to reach their cities for Christ, and teaching them with ideas that were probably, at the time, 30 or more years ahead of their time. He was truly a pioneer in the area of missions and cities. Dr. Bakke is in the last days of his life, and still he's teaching, sharing, and encouraging young pastors and leaders not to give up on the city. We have a lot of ground to cover, so let's get to it. Dr. Bakke, welcome to Missions Today. Thank you. It is so great to have you with us today. I want to go back a few years, back to some of your early days. Tell me a bit about your life growing up and your exposure to faith. I grew up in rural America, north of Seattle, up in the mountains, uh, in a Norwegian community of immigrants. I was first generation um, here, but um, our little church, a Lutheran church, began with Norwegian services, Sunday school in English. And I came to know Christ uh, as a child in that community, in my home. 
My mom and dad had three other siblings after me, and uh, we all were basically growing up milking cows and logging, but we were all taught to love God, follow Jesus, and serve the world, and, and get out of this valley if you possibly can, because we have so many busted up loggers and farmers. And so I went to Moody at age 18, and that was my uh, introduction to the world and to the city. I came there in 1956, met my wife there. She ended up on faculty there teaching music for about 15 years. So Moody was uh, where it all began, and, and um, we got married in 1960, and I came back to Chicago after starting ministry in Seattle. That was when I got the biggest shock of my life, and that was what I call the colossal failure of my white evangelical church and churches like mine that were fleeing the city at the time we were moving in. We called it white flight and white fright, and that really drove me as a seminary student at first, and then in ministry in the inner city of Chicago, I began to ask the question, what was missing in our theology? And I concluded that evangelicals uh, tended to be what I call functional Unitarians. They only cared about the agenda of the second person of the Trinity. I just get people saved on the path to heaven. And really, without a robust doctrine of the Trinity, we... You know, the idea that God has put us in this uh, city is we have a stewardship here. It's the garden, and it, the sin makes it hard, but we have to keep doing it. And uh, so I began working on theology and Bible, eventually uh, producing books and things on Bible and cities. Um, and then uh, while I was on faculty at Northern Seminary and Trinity before that, I began traveling with the Graham's Lausanne Committee uh, to the cities of the world. World Vision uh, did a lot of facilitation with me, but I went to over 200 cities in the years between 1980 and 2000, doing ministry consultations in large cities all over the world. That was the core of my ministry, and it has included a lot of teaching in seminaries and continued writing and speaking on cities, cities and the mission in cities around the world. Let's talk for a moment about cities. What do you think is unique about a city setting versus maybe where you were raised? What's the difference between the two? Well, you know, uh, my kids uh, went to high school in the inner city of Chicago, and we deliberately put them in the inner city high school community as missionaries. And I became a kind of chaplain to their high school in Chicago. But there were 63 nations in that one school. You know, there are about 200 nations in the whole world. And the school was 35% black, but from many different black cultures, African coal culture, cotton culture, Caribbean culture. It was... Um, 28% uh, Asian, lots of different Asian countries from West Asia to Southeast, Vietnam and China. There were 21% uh, Spanish, but many different Spanish countries, and 13% white, white ethnic or Native American. And, and I thought about that and thought, <laughs> first response was, does God know about this? Over 25% of the world's countries in my kids' high school uh, here in Chicago. And I began to look at the question, and I concluded that Psalm 107 was uh, happening in our lifetime, uh, Colin. That Psalm 107 says, they come from north, south, east, west. They prayed, and God led them straightway to a city to dwell in. That's Psalm 107, uh, 1 to 8. And uh, I really began seeing nations and neighborhoods as what was uh, new, and that basically that was happening on six continents. Greatest migration in human history was going on inside China, rural to urban, and uh, and then from nations all over the world. And so the frontier of world mission has shifted. It's no longer geographically distant. 
you don't have to cross oceans now to find the, the nations. You cross the street uh, in Vancouver or L.A. or Seattle, Chicago, or New York. So cities have become the catch basins of the nations, and that is really requiring fundamental different kinds of churches. I've been arguing that supermarkets years ago discovered this, and they have food from all over the world, and they are open all night long, and I suggested that churches should be open 24-7, that we have night city and day city. We need night pastors and day pastors. We we need to be aware that every language that missionaries used to learn and culture they used to study, we now have to learn here at home. That's threatening uh, to many. Uh, missions always meant crossing an ocean or a mountain or a jungle. And I, I do find, especially since 9-11, that many are uncomfortable to hear that God is bringing nations to neighborhoods. But it's true. It's true into Brazil. You have a million Japanese in one city in Brazil. Koreans are everywhere. We've had missions in Japan since 1500s, Francis Xavier, and honestly, it's a very expensive place to do mission. But it turns out that Japan is now in every major city uh, in this new commercial world. So that was what challenge I brought uh, because I did research and my degrees for that. And so began to talk about a new kind of mission where we, we do what missionaries always did. We move into communities that are contrary to typical white Western uh, values. We uh, raise our children there because children are the early adopters. So they get to know everybody real quick. And uh, that's the advantage my kids had growing up in the inner city of Chicago. All their friends were different colors and different languages. So, you know, I, I think that's fundamentally true. If you're in London, I'd love to give you a tour and show you that 52 nations in the British Empire, they all live in London now. Same in Paris. Uh, I've got neighborhoods. If we did a walking tour, I'd love to show you. One neighborhood is about 90% uh, Algerian inside Paris. Marseille, France, same thing. There are 26 or so French-speaking countries in Northwest Africa, and they all are in southern France. And uh, the French don't appreciate it that much now, but they, they ruled those countries for 150 years. Now those countries are inside France, and therefore you can reach Africans by going to Africa, or you can reach them by crossing the streets in southern France. It's amazing to see what has happened with the world's population, and you've described it so well, our ability to be able to reach those. And some of your thoughts as well just seem to be, you seem to be way ahead of your time in some of these ideas that some mission agencies are now just beginning to embrace, I think. For the Anglo missionary, the Anglo culture in reaching out whether it's across the street or around the world into other cultures, that has been a problem for Americans, for the West, for some time. Maybe a couple of thoughts about how to engage people who are different from us. I think it used to be easier to talk about, but then 9-11 happened. You know, 19 boys of color changed the country and uh, rattled the American evangelical community. And I, I find many Americans kind of circling the wagons now and hanging on to their own children, their own culture, with an insecurity and fear. I really believe a number of organizations are doing it right. Uh, headquartered in Chicago is uh, John Perkins long ago started Christian Community Development Association. It includes ministries that recruit young adults to do what we did long ago, and that is literally deliberately relocate. Relocators uh, in community, moving into neighborhoods, raise your children there, and get to know your neighbors, and deliberately 
uh, you're not running programs. You're you're neighboring. And I'll give you an example. Lowell neighborhood in Fresno, 28 families moved in years ago, and it was the armpit of the city. It was awful. And uh, after 28 families had lived there for 10 years, um, even the mayor was giving tours of, of that and became a believer. And crime went down. Um, it was became a model neighborhood. And it wasn't rocket science, you know, it wasn't expensive. It was dozens of young adults moving in deliberately in covenant with each other and uh, becoming neighbors. So CCDA is a network of thousands of young Americans who are, they meet every year. This year it'll be in Kansas City. Uh, these are people who deliberately have taken on the toughest cities in the country and have been doing it. Of course, there are things to learn, a huge amount to learn. And there are a couple ways, you know, to, to learn. Uh, one is formally, uh, the Chicago Historical Society is right across the street from Moody Church. And I started going there many years ago in the 60s. And, and there's there are pamphlets and studies of every neighborhood in Chicago. I deliberately drove around and then my own strategy as a pastor was to make a list of 45 churches near me. And I basically uh, would drive by a church and stop. I started with the Catholic church in my neighborhood and I knock on the door and I say, I'm new pastor in the community. Uh, my name is Ray Bakke. I owe you an apology. And they would ask a little surprise, um, why an apology? And I said, well, I've been driving by your church I've never stopped to thank you for your ministry in this community. Uh, if this is not a good time, I can come back. But would you be willing to maybe let me ask you this question? What's the most important lesson you've learned about doing ministry in this neighborhood since you began? It's not a uh, controversial question. I was not asking people what they believed. I was asking them what the most important lesson they've learned. The inspiration of that really came from Billy Graham and the discussion of the Lausanne Committee, which has this wonderful line, let's help the whole church take the whole gospel to the whole world. And, and uh, when a group of us asked Billy what he meant by whole church, he said the five major families of the Christian faith are Catholic, Orthodox, conciliar, which means Council of Churches, uh, churches, and then uh, evangelical, charismatic, independent. And he said, personally, he said, I want every one of those on my platform to model John 17 uh, everywhere I go and wherever I preach. And so he challenged me the same way. Uh, and uh, I've been saying to my students, this was so effective for me. Uh, I had pastors taking me on tours of the community, introducing me to police, uh, showing me where the drugs get dropped, uh, helping me, even giving me members, because once I got to know them, they said things like, well, you know, we have a family near, right across the street from your church, actually, and, and they don't come to mind much. Uh, you can have them, and they would give me addresses and say, uh, with my blessing, you can you can go. Uh, the uh, The reality was, in one year, I knew the community better than anybody, and the police and everybody else I got to know fire department. So you network your way into a neighborhood. That's the important thing. You network, I call it networking your way into a community. Uh, it's, again, it's not rocket science, but I say if you take a day a week or one, 20% of your ministry time 
just to find out what's going on in your community. The people there were willing to tell you about the neighborhood. I went to the businesses that hadn't moved out because so many did. And I thanked them for staying and I asked them, you know, how's the community changed? And Benny's told me it's going to hell, things like that. <laughs> and I uh, I said, well, would you explain? I'm pastor over here and I told him the address. And uh, they said, well, here's what, what I see. And again, I would thank him for staying in the community. And I went to taverns and said, you know, I, I'm a little uh, frustrated uh, I noticed that I have a hard time getting people to come and listen to me, but they come, they actually pay you to come and talk. And I had one tavern owner, the one two blocks from my church, and he said, Reverend, he said, I'm trying to run a business, not a counseling service, but he said, you know, people come in here, they have one or two drinks, and they're slobbering all over my counter. Their kids in trouble, their marriage is in trouble, their job's on the bubble, or they have a fatal illness. Uh, and so I set up a 12-step program in taverns at the, you know, at the blessing of, of the pub owners. I just had uh, started with a guy named Bill who ran our AA teams uh, in my church. And, and uh, he would sit in the tavern two nights a week where, and he would get referrals. And, you know, we'd put him in 12 steps or introduce him to Jesus uh, uh, all kinds of different ways. So yes, there there are ways to reach out. Obviously, I looked at coaching, athletic coaching. I played in sports, and head coaches don't coach anymore. They're vision casters. Position coaches coach. So on that score, I I see uh, a church where you might have a pastor who's a vision caster, all right, but basically the ministries are being done by by your specialists. Uh, you have specialists in. Uh, in, in drugs, uh, alcohol. You have specialists and people who work with the prison. Uh, if you're in community, you, you might have one uh, with youth. Obviously, we've done that many ways before. But anyway, uh, those are things that can be done and are being done, and I'm grateful for it. I see it in Europe. Some of the biggest churches in Europe are pastored by Africans who've come to Europe, uh, following the people who've migrated there. Uh, in recent years. So the new thing is uh, the United States is one of the largest uh, Spanish, well, second largest Spanish nation now. And uh, only Mexico has more people than, I mean, we passed Argentina and every other country in South America. So thinking of us as many nations, 350 uh, native reservations, I think that's that's how we have to go about it. We, we can't just see one blob and one size fits all preaching anymore. I want to follow up on that because that's a great word for the church, for those engaged in missions. Uh, maybe uh, one or two things top of mind that the American church, the Western church, needs to learn about doing effective missions. First of all, um, the pastor in an inner city or in an urban setting is going to have to learn how to pastor people different from themselves. And that's often insecure. The pastors um, who really are uncomfortable with people who don't look like them. I mean, if you're a coach today, you know, you're, you're coaching black, Latin, everybody. Uh, and not everybody was comfortable with that. There are a lot of coaches that couldn't adapt. And so building a pastoral team, I, I'm just so inspired by the Antioch Church because Acts 13.1 gives us the first five uh, leaders of the Antioch Church. And, uh, you know, you read that list, uh, Lucius the Brown, uh, Lucius of uh, North Africa. You have Black, 
you know, he's called Niger, which is the black word for black. Benayan, a politician, Barnabas from Cyprus, uh, Paul, a European-trained uh, Jew. And there was uh, the pastoral team of the first missionary church we know anything about. It had five pastoral leaders from three continents, Acts 13.1. I think that's the model. The Acts Church was reaching out to Greeks as well as other ethics in what was the Silk Road city of Antioch, which had two major highways, the Anatolia to Egypt highway, north-south, and then you had the Silk Road east-west. So Antioch was where the mission church was born. This is where Paul and Barnabas incubated a learning to do cross-cultural ministries that spun them out into mission journeys. So in some ways, what I am saying is we've got to get back to the biblical model, uh, take the stained glass off the text, and realize that Paul went to cities, and only to cities. I mean, the smallest place he ever went was Thessalonica. And in every city, use different uh, strategies. I've written about this in Theology as Big as a City and Biblical Word for an Urban World and Urban Christian and other books, but and in countless articles um, here and there. But I, I really think that we're getting more and more people involved in it today. Missionaries take years to learn cultures and languages. That's what you have to do. And the urban equivalent is you spend a couple of years networking your way into communities and finding your you know, the open doors, and they are there. I assure you, they are there. Dr. Baki, in our final moments, I know that you are going through an incredibly challenging time in your own life as you wind down your ministry and and literally winding down uh, the time uh, uh, here on Earth. What are some of the thoughts at the forefront of your mind as you are in this stage of your life? Yes, well, my wife, Corrine, died, uh, and we buried her a little over a month ago. We were married almost 61 years. We met at Moody. So we are a product of the Institute in many ways. Uh, yes, uh, she died a month ago, and I'm in hospice care with uh, cancer. I guess I'm thinking there's nothing like a, an eschatology to focus your, your time. And so I have my longtime administrative assistant, uh, having arranging calls and visits, and, and I'm encouraging uh, hundreds of former students. Uh, Dr. Mark Job did his doctorate with me and in our specialty program at Urban Ministry at Baki Graduate University. I'm very proud of Mark. I love what he's doing. Uh, he calls me occasionally to keep in touch and encourage me and pray with me. After 35 years of ministry in Chicago, it I've got Chicago in my blood for sure. Uh, it was my lab city, and it gave me credibility everywhere. So, you know, I have no um, great concern. Uh, I've never died before, but I am confident in the gospel. And, you know, it's, this is when we practice our faith, uh, to be true. So I'll see Jesus soon and reconnect with the body of Christ in glory. And uh, that's our blessed hope, Colin. And uh I don't know how long I've got. Uh, honestly, uh, I went off chemo because it just wasn't keeping up and it was making things miserable. And I did that at the doctor's suggestion and my family's blessing. But it's been a joy. Uh, honestly, I can say no regrets. For a guy who grew up milking cows and logging, uh, I've been, uh, went around the world in cities um, at a time when, when you could do that. It's probably impossible to do what I did today because of all the conflicts among nations and COVID, etc. So I'm, I'm just going to use this time to encourage people, only if I have breath. Well, I know you have a long history of that, Dr. Baki. And a final question for you, people listening today, searching for answers, searching for a mission, searching for a calling in their life, searching for purpose in their life. You obviously found your purpose. You found 
your calling and even in your final days, you are working to make sure that others know about that calling. What would you say to somebody today looking for their calling, looking for purpose, looking for mission in their own life? Well, I, I just, I'm impressed with the way Jesus dealt with people. I would just say, uh, uh, reread the Gospels, focus on Jesus and the ways he met people, where they were, uh, talked with them, uh, whether they were first family of Jerusalem, as in Nicodemus, John 3, or the outcasts of Samaria, John 4, everything in between. Uh, I think the first calling is, of course, to follow Jesus. And in baptism, we become members of the body of Christ, the church, and then, uh, you know, pray for our calling, and, and it should follow somewhat with our gifting, normally. I encourage people to get into a small group, and in small group Bible study or small support groups, we often find our colleagues uh, will be the ones who tell us um, what our giftings are, because they are the ones who experience them in relationship with us. So don't be discouraged. Uh, it may not happen immediately that you find out what you're doing. I prepared uh, to be a pastor and then got led into teaching and finally itinerant uh, teaching. I think the calling came in stages. I read a uh, piece by a man who wrote, Stephen Rose was his name, and he wrote an essay called Why Conservatives Can't Survive in Cities. And honestly, uh, I remember the date I read it, January 16, 1966. It was like a second conversion. Uh, I said, his thesis was the Bible's a rural book. God made gardens, evil men made cities. David was great as long as he stayed on the farm, played with sheep, and killed giants, and, and wrote hymns. But when he got in the city, he got all messed up. So the lesson of the Bible is the more Bible you get in you, the more anti-city you will become. That challenged me like nothing else. I made a vow, uh, starting with uh, my first year in seminary, that I was going to find out. And I discovered the word cities in the Bible uh, 1,250 times, 142 cities of Scripture, uh, 51 texts on Sodom alone, uh, why God said he destroyed it, Ezekiel 16. And I got a calling uh, by uncovering old texts in Scripture that other people basically at the time were uh, ignoring. And that call came successively. You know, I was called to pastor, and then I was called to this uh, specialty, I believe, and provoked by this uh, sociologist's uh, understanding of the Bible, which I thought was totally wrong. But anyway, you know, I encourage people to just follow Jesus, plain and simple, and uh, start loving your neighbors, and somewhere in there your call will come. Follow Jesus, love your neighbor, and surround yourself with other Christ followers who can help you find that calling. Your call will come. Well, as you heard Dr. Baki share, he is literally in the final days of his life, in hospice care, waiting to see Jesus. But he hasn't stopped what he's been called to do. He continues daily to reach out to young pastors and leaders, giving them words of encouragement and hope for their work in serving Christ. Today's program is titled, A Life on Mission. And that's exactly what we've seen from Dr. Baki. Our verse this week was from Matthew 25 and includes the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. That's something we could share with Dr. Baki today, well done, good and faithful servant. Will you join me and our team in praying for Dr. Baki and his family in these final days? I know that they would appreciate it so very much. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to look to the skies to learn how Bible translation is getting a boost from a company that works in space. 
If you've enjoyed the show today, I'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and rate it and leave a review on iTunes. If you have feedback from me, I want to hear from you. Email me at clambertadmissionstoday.com, clambertadmissionstoday.com. And be sure to follow our Instagram and Facebook at Missions Today Radio. So great to have you with us this week. Look forward to being with you again next week. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.